Hey, TSL fam, producer Jeff here, and I am so excited to present an amazing best of episode for you this week as we prepare to return from our summer hiatus. Thank you to our intern, Boris, who cut this episode together. He chose seven of his favorite moments from our show in the last, you know, half a year and kind of unified them by specific considerations, themes, and even exercises that we can be using to really dig into and find the heart of our stories. So today we hear from Alex Kurtzman and Jenny Lumet, uh, Michael Waldron. We hear from Maggie Cohn, who show ran The Staircase. We talk about character polls, Pat Verducci shows up, and even Allison Mann, who um, kind of helps us connect our professional careers to our personal brand as a writer. So it's a really wonderful episode. I encourage all of you to really take it in and as always, keep writing. You know, there's an old adage about musicals, right? Where the the the, the musicals that, um, if you look at the structure of a musical, if you were to pull the songs out, the story wouldn't work anymore. Um, and 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 I think the same rule applies to action writing, action screenwriting, which is that if the set piece isn't moving the story forward or the character forward in some significant way, then it needs to not be there. And I've worked with directors before where they have pre-planned a set piece and suddenly you find yourself as a screenwriter trying to write mm-hmm. to a set piece rather than letting the set piece grow out of you know, a, a, a legitimate emotional turning point for a character. And what happens is you can have great eye candy, but it's ultimately extremely empty for the audience. It just doesn't, it doesn't land. It doesn't stay with you, right? It's like, it's like, it's candy, right? It, it can taste very sweet, but, but you don't really remember it a second later, you know? Um, and in my experience with set pieces now, I think they all have to tell, they either have to turn over a new card in terms of story or they have to turn over a new card in terms of a reveal about a character in the court, or, you know, or, you know, it brings two characters closer together for some reason, because like they might've hated each other, but suddenly they have to do something to survive together. And so a new, a new bond of trust is formed in that moment. I mean, you wrote inside out, right? Like you could break inside out down with all the same rules where you have all these set pieces, but every single set piece is moving the story forward in some significant way, mm-hmm. you know, or, it's, it's so funny that, that we're having this podcast right now because my son reminded me, my son's 16 years old and he reminded me last night, I'm not an easy crier. It's hard, it, like I feel a lot of things and I promise you I'm crying inside, but to go outside and cry, like very hard for me, except for when Bing Bong died. When Bing Bong died, I was like un- inconsolable. Like I, couldn't, <laughs> like I couldn't hold it together in the theater with my son. Um, so I feel like, you know, that, but that is, a, that's actually a great example of the answer to your question, because she has to let that part of herself go in order to move on, right, in that, at that point in the story. And so now you have a set piece that's, that makes you feel all of the things, but if you didn't have that set piece, the character would not get to a new place. And so I think that that's, that's sort of the standard that we, we use now for wh- what is the set piece doing is like, does it have to be there to move the story forward? I love that. And, you know, we're very lucky when you are a writer at Pixar because you have these amazing genius artists drawing. Mm-hmm. And when you have Ronnie Del Carmen yeah. uh, uh, creating that moment, mm-hmm. um, truly, it's, you know, you're kind of following their lead. Uh, yeah. They are they are the leaders of, of that. Those, the, so, so it's, I, I, I very much need to give Ronnie, that's, that's Ronnie yeah. Del Carmen. 
it's it's a symbiotic relationship too because i'm sure that what happened was like you might have had something maybe half baked in your mind or you were stewing on something and then you see this picture that just brings it to life for you and you probably instantly felt oh. something and seeing it and then suddenly this seemed became clear i would imagine mm -hmm. you know i've been in that situation before it's like god this is really tricky conceptually like i feel something here and i know that i kind of need it but what's it actually going to look like and then you see an artist hands you a, a, a you know a rendering and you go oh my god and it, it just opens a door in your mind. Mm -hmm. I, I will say though, if I could, if I could hop in, I mean, I'll just be honest, Jenny, like I love Rachel getting married very much. And when I think about like the scene where Anne Hathaway finally confesses her big traumatic secret in rehab, like that's totally a set piece, right? Even yeah. though it's like a small character moment, what it does in the movie compared to the stakes of what the film is and what the genre is like, when you're watching that movie, your heart breaks and you weep and you fall over. So it feels like set piece maybe is just like big emotional turning points to a certain extent. I, 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 though I battle being reflexively supportive, I'm going to absolutely support you um, <laughs> <laughs> in that statement. Um, because I feel, I, I also feel like when Annie got up to and there's a big chunk of Rachel getting married where people are dancing and there's no dialogue and I feel like that's a set piece and then Annie gets up to dance and Deborah Winger does not and I feel like that uh tells you everything that you need to and she and Deborah Winger indeed wraps her scarf sort of even tighter around herself um and Annie gets up and tries she can't really get into the action but she tries and that that tells that was a, a, certainly a set piece um uh in that movie. So I'm with you that that it doesn't necessarily have to be action or music oriented. It can certainly be um, emotional and everything hangs on it. Yeah, that is, that's the, the goal, right? That it's all of those things. It's yeah. all those things. And yeah. for your director and features, it's, uh, you know, the climax that he's never been able to see on screen and it's big enough, right, for mm -hmm. this movie that you, you still have to hit that as a writer too. And yet it's emotional and yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of boxes to check. All that layering that goes into one of these, especially bigger projects, but I think in any project, be that TV or or a small indie film, it doesn't matter. Always there's this layering in storytelling that has to happen. And you know, that's my big drum that I beat, which is why you're doing so many drafts. Like I think a lot of emerging writers have this idea, Michael, that you as this big professional experienced writer sit down and you write one draft. And there's all the 10 layers. And if they can't do that, they're not really writers. And it's just like, no. ha -ha. Yeah, I mean, that, that's that's the, I mean, I must, there must be 200 s drafts of this script that, that I that I worked on. And and yeah, to, to everything you were just saying, what, what I learned, especially in the process, you, you learn so much watching a movie with the audience for the first time. You know, this is my first time watching something in a theater, watching the audience react to it and everything. And you see those, those big scenes that felt so important with where, you, where I really layered metaphors on top of exposition, on top of whatever, that seems so important to me, maybe they fall a little bit flat because what the audience really is there for is character. That's, right. and, it, and it's simple. The, the movie, you're, you're so much better off if you can just start simply because that's what you're gonna end up whittling it down to. Either 
in ensuing drafts on set or eventually butchering it in the edit. Uh, I, I feel like you'll end up trying to find the simplest story. I saw, um, I saw the new Top Gun a couple of nights ago, and I love the first Top Gun. It's one of my favorite movies, and the new one is tremendous. And it's real. It's just such a simple character story. Uh, and that, can and talk I, about that a little bit? When you say whittling it on all all down to character, which I I hundred percent, a thousand percent agree, and it's how I build. Um, but now, you know, you're talking about Marvel, Loki or Marvel, which is just so much, there's so many things going on. So what is that process of, do you have a process to get it back down to the character? Well, it's trying to understand it before you go in. So, so it feels like you've got a really strong core, or a really strong foundation that you're building around. With Loki, you know, I, I knew from the beginning that it, this was a a story about his search for identity and ultimately a journey of of him forgiving himself and and the story of self-love um and with strange and wanda it's a totally different thing you know it's, it's strange kind of it, it's wanda reckoning with um her grief in a different way and in her pursuit of her children and and um and with strange it's him confronting the notion that maybe uh the way he does things isn't the path to happiness um and 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 fulfillment for him and so you want you it's it's like i just try to understand like what are, what are the very what are those very simple character journeys what's the simple something james ponsel a buddy of mine said to me once the writer director what's the love story in in this movie or in this story in, in this show not not mean necessarily a romantic love story but just between two characters or a character in the what is that central relationship um and just trying to find all of that before you start figuring out what are the rules of the multiverse because you want the plot at least to me to bend to the will of the character stuff and not the other way around um because ultimately it will when you're on set you'll be standing there with the actors and, it, and if if it's plot driven and not character driven everybody's gonna suss that out and you're just gonna find yourself rewriting in a frenzy and you're gonna end up with something that kind of sucks. So you you want, you do, you do, you know, tr trying to start simply. So how do you do that? How do you, um, what's the your process of figuring out what it's about before you go in, right? I tend to figure out what it's about. Like I just start writing, right? I figure so, out, I think it's about this and then on draft two, I'm like, shit, no, it's about this. and. Totally. I mean, like you're yeah. like you're are you're still are you still processing through writing or do you do it all in cards or no, no, I'm I mean, I that's that's I guess that's the next day is everything I just said. I immediately throw out the door because I'm terrible at outlining. I don't do note cards and I really can only discover it on the page through dialogue. So it's like I just have to have like a sense in my head of something emotion, something that moves me that can 
pull me through the pages and then and then hopefully at the end of that you're like okay maybe it's this and then you're 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 shaping that thing it just needs to be you're at the forefront whatever it's really about that when people talk about what's the concept of your show Mm -hmm. they're not they're not asking you to say we're basing on a true life event about this guy and this happened and that happened and nobody knows did he do it or not no they're asking for this deeper thinking what is your approach what are you interested in what are you going to center this show on and what you guys have chosen to center the show on is so rich and so such an interesting unanswerable in the best kind of narrative way question right like that it's so it's such a great driver and so complex and yet you and you're pulling it off. Um, I just I love that as the center of a show. I just think it's it's fantastic. And um, I yeah I think it's worth emphasizing that like while I'm articulating it here, hopefully with some degree of professionalism, it takes a long time <laughs> to figure out the, the the way to communicate your idea that it makes it like almost edible like you and but I will say it's very helpful whether you're communicating with an executive at a studio or you know ultimately with a viewer it's also really helpful when you're producing something and you're on set because a lot of the decisions that you're making real time you can go in a multiple multiple directions and if you know what the thesis of your show is or what you're trying to create like what what's the point why are you doing it that can help divine out which is the best approach and when you're tired and you're stressed and you're facing you know a a variety of questions if you don't have that it just makes it more difficult um and so i just i kind of wanted to you know because for me to be like well you know what's the point of being able to just I, i mean it's one thing to be able to like spout off like a log line or something like that. But if you know what something's fundamentally about, it actually will help you make it later on. Um, Absolutely. And, and I also think that um, that thesis, what a wonderful world word to use that thesis. I I also hear you saying, it's not like you wrote your first draft and there it was, and it was, you could articulate it in two sentences. Like I I keep telling people like, that's why you write so many drafts because sometimes you just have an impulse or a, you just love something, but you don't know why. And it takes drafts. Sometimes it takes talking over with your friends, be that Lorian for me or my manager, where they're starting to reflect back in questions. So it, but it's so important. I guess I just want to say it's so important to go for that, right? Mm-hmm. Like sometimes writers, pros and emerging get so excited about the content, the, the, the larger plot stuff right. that we forget that we lose this and that this is the money. This is the gold underneath that you got to go for. And it helps you de- determine what plot is most important because again, uh, you know, the other thing that you're doing, especially I think when you're show running because you're, you know, producing over the co- very extended time period. And when it comes to limited series, it's almost as though you're making eight movies, um, especially one when it's happening in different time frames. <laughs> so the costumes are different. The set locations have to be different even if they existed before. Um, and so what it helps is you, you always have to lose something like you're never going to somehow magically be on schedule and under budget. Um, I mean, actually I'd love to hear someone's story about that because <laughs> I've yet to see it and I <laughs> certainly have a lot to learn about it. Um, so the point being is then you have to lose scenes 
and that means you have to lose some plot. And so then again, it's like, what scenes are fundamental to expressing this thesis? Like, you don't want to lose anything and you want to have as much to play with in the editing suite as you possibly can, but that's just not the way the world works. And so when you have to start cutting things and you have to start making that decision, if you have that thing to fall back on and you can test the scene against that, the idea of what you want to create, the scene, the scenes, if all else is equal between them, one of them might more explicitly communicate to that idea. And as such, it kind of makes that one worth protecting, you know, worth spending the money on that location, um, you know, worth spending more time on that scene. And then the other one kind of, you, you know, cross your fingers and hope that the cut isn't too deep. <laughs> you can feel it watching the show that that's, that you guys were doing that. You can feel that yeah. depth. So I always say character polls, what I mean by that is sometimes for me, it's very helpful at some point in the process. Now I might have this before a puke draft, I might not. I might think I have it and then realize halfway through the puke draft, I do not. Um, but what I mean by it is where does, it's super simple. Where does your character start and where do they finish? So when my husband once was working, he's a screenwriter and a filmmaker and he was once working with Harrison Ford and this was very clearly what Harrison Ford was wanting. Where do I start and where do I finish? And all as an actor play in between. And I worked many, many years with Jodie Foster and she would always need this. Where do I start and where do I finish? I'll play in between, but that's my sandbox, right? So where do I start, where do I finish? That is a simple saying for features, but super complex in terms of what what's contained inside of there. So I just try to think of them as the poles that are kind of holding up the circus tent. Do you know what I mean? Like, and it also helps you know right towards something or realize halfway through, oh, those aren't the poles. It just gives me some sort of um, context. And I have found even with studio executives and producers, actors absolutely need it. They absolutely have to have it. But even studio executives and producers, when they say what's their arc, this is what they're asking for. They start here, they finish here. So intellectually, you can talk about that, of course, but really what they're, I'm talking about and what they're talking about is emotionally, where is the character? So that might be a transformation. That might be a claiming, like I talk about, which is they're, they're actually just claiming who they are. They've been right all along, but they didn't know the how of it. They knew what it was, but they didn't know how. So the easiest one for me to think about is Moana, right? Like she's right. She does need to go sailing. Her I want song makes sense, but her how is wrong. She thinks she has to go get this guy and he has to do it, but in fact, she has to do it, right? So that her house switches and she has very, you know, at the beginning she's questioning herself and at the end, she's gonna go be the hero, right? So those are big shifts. The bigger the shift, the bigger those poles, the easier it is to write, I'm just telling you right now. Like if your poles are like two degrees next to each other, I'm not saying don't do that. It's just, no, it's harder. It's much higher math, so do it. But if you're really just looking to learn it, and give yourself some a break, put those poles really far apart, as far apart as you can, right? So from good to bad, bad to good, whatever, we can talk about transformations and what those are in a second. But so when I talk about a character pole, I'm really talking about emotional moments in act one and in act three that clarify that arc, that transformation, that character shift, right? And usually what's really interesting is, not all the time, but often they're mirror moments to each other even in how the director's directing the scene, how the characters that are involved, right? 
Um, so you can look at, um, and I have a clip that I showed during my seminar of the Godfather, where he brings Diane Keaton to this wedding and he explains to her who his family is and that they're murderers, they're criminals and murderers. And then he looks at her and it's a bright scene and we're lots of people and he, and his sister's up there with her, with her husband, her husband that just got married. And he looks at Diane Keaton and he says, that's my family, Kate, that's not me. Now, at the end of the movie, we're in a dark room with dark paneling. His face is in shadow half the time. It's in half light, half shadow. She's standing there trembling, looking at him. You can hear a woman wailing. Well, the woman that's wailing is his sister because he has killed the groom. And now she looks at him and says, did you do it? And it's a great scene. You should go watch it. He literally says, don't ask me about my business. Don't ask me about my business. So this very open guy who was very, very generous and wanted to be intimate with her and was bringing her in like as his best self is now looking at his best self and saying, don't ask me any questions. I will not participate with you. He's completely changed. He's a totally different person. And she just says, and he says, okay, this one time, I'll let you, I'll, I'll let you ask, I'll let you ask about my business one time. And she says, did you do it? And he lies and he says, no. And then he hugs her and she goes, get, goes and says, I guess we both need a drink. And she goes and gets a drink. And then she watches as the men walk up and kiss his ring and call him his father's name, Don Carrione. Right, so there's the pull. I'm not my father, I am my father. That's why the last image is him being his father. And then they close the door on her face. They literally close the door. Like you're not allowed in anymore. He's bringing her in and now he's closing the door on her face because he's become his father. It's it's the way it's it's so beautiful. It's so it's one is bright and open and wide and one is closed down and shut down and you're not coming in. And so they're beautiful pulls that once you kind of, and you might take drafts and drafts to really get them. Once you get them, it really, really helps you know where you're going. And those pull moments in act one and act three, they contain the theme, they can claim, they can, they, that character transformation, usually the main relationship is involved, whatever that relationship, Diane Keaton happens to be, in my opinion, the heart relationship, like the relationship that he is trying to win and that he ultimately loses because he gives it up. Um, the goal and desire of that main character is answered or not answered, right? That's my parent. That's my father, Kate. That's not me. Guess what? That's not true. And it doesn't, he becomes his dad. His want and his need, right, is all inside of those things. And when you can, like I said, when you watch these poll moments, if you're looking for them in movies, the director's using them, the setting, the production design, the cinematography, the costumes, the acting, you know, when you're watching that moment with him and the Godfather, I swear to God, after she asked him the question, you can see that boy he was flicker across his face. It's like this last moment and then he, it submerges and he's gone and he's a, just a different guy. So the actors love to know these polls and how they're moving. What are they changing? Um, you know, so I'm talking about those transformations can be big, you know, from you know, you know, what's great about, uh, you know, The Godfather, of course, it's a reverse, right? It's from conscious to unconscious. Usually your character is unconscious moving to consciousness, but some movies like uh, The Godfather flip it. 
right? So it can be a liar or delusional person moving to truth. It can be revenge to forgiveness. Like these are big, big pots and words you can use for yourself to try to start to find those poles. Um, you know, in, in Godfather's case, it's awareness to unconsciousness going dark, so to speak. Um, so that's what I mean by polls. And um, I can post some examples on the Facebook page that I have. And these are not genre-based. I have found them in thrillers. I have found them in comedies. I have, you know, because they're character-based. That It's about what, how is your character moving? How, how does act two take you from the first character moment to the last? That's what act two is, is getting them there. That's, I have my first act. I have my third act. How the hell are we going to get her there? How do you help somebody take in what people are saying and not let it blow them out. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is such a great question. And like I said, I fall victim to it too, because I'm kind of a people pleaser. So I just think that I have to do every single note because, you know, so what I suggest to the writers that I work with is that, you know, sometimes when you get feedback, like you said, Lorian, it's just like overwhelming and there's little things and there's big things and, you know, all different kinds of things. And like you said, it's like a bullet, you know, just piercing your soft writer body, you know, and, you know, what I suggest is, um, you know, some people like to take notes when they're, um, when they get that, when they were having the call, you know, and they just write stuff down. But what I suggest that they do is like, just to take a couple of days and like not write anything down and just not just let it percolate in an unconscious way. Like, I love that you took a walk because, you know, by sort of being in your body, you're, you're allowing the notes to kind of be embodied in you, you know, as you're walking and as you're thinking. And so I always say like, take a couple days and then write down the notes that you remember that make your body feel good. Like my body feels like, yes, this is going to make my script a thousand times better, you know? Um, and then the other stuff, you know, save that for later. And then think about it, like, does that note, you know, really serve my vision? Why am I, why am I bumping on that note? You know, I know you guys have talked about this on the podcast before. It's like, what's the note underneath the note? Are they just giving me an idea that, that sounds really weird and is like, I just don't understand it. And like, what are they trying to solve for me? You know, but I always think like there's those higher notes that you're just, your body feels good when you process them and you're like, yes, I'm going to do those notes. And so I just always suggest to do those first. Thank you. That's amazing. Thank you. Very validating. Have Thank you me. ever just within that ballpark there, have you ever come up against blind spots in somebody that you're working with? Because sometimes it might percolate in your body, but you do actually have a blind spot yeah. to to it. How do you handle blind spots in your client? Yeah. So, so tell me your definition of blind spot. You know, the, the brain isn't quite ready yet to even face what you're saying. I don't even mean about craft. It might be about the character or, you know, I worked with a young man when I taught, uh, at a college grad school and, you know, he just didn't want to, I kept saying this character needs to confront his big brother about this. He can't just go out the window. Like the mood, the whole narrative is, is driving to this confrontation. It doesn't feel satisfying, but he just, there was a blind spot and he wasn't ready 
to have that confrontation or blind spots can be about larger issues of not knowing the craft, I guess, right? If you don't know how to write a big action movie and you're trying to write one, you could have blind spots about how they work. So I guess there's different kinds of blind spots. I'm thinking about this uh, as we talk. So you can tell me what you consider a blind spot. I mean, you work with far more people than I do. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Okay. So yeah, I love that you broke that down into kind of two different types. Like there's an emotional blind spot and then there's like a craft blind spot. You know, I'll start with craft because that's a little bit easier to kind of deal with, you know? So just taking your example of, you know, someone who's wanting to write an action movie and, you know, there are certain conventions that go with that genre of movie, you know? And so, you know, if the person, if those elements aren't in the script in some form, you know, either as a reference to it or, um, you know, embraced, you know, we would talk through kind of like, um, what are the movies that they loved, you know, and then I might go off and watch one of those movies and go, okay, so that movie that you love has these kinds of scenes. How can we sort of mine those kinds of scenes for your film, you know, whether it's based on character or action sequences or whatever. So, you know, there's those craft conversations, you know, about, um, about just understanding kind of the beast that you're writing. You know, and then the emotion. And then figuring out that a lot of times they figure out, oh, I don't even want to write an action movie. Now that you tell me all that, I don't like. I don't even care about all that. What I care about is this, right? And then you're like, well, then that's not an action movie, right? Like that's a blind spot because you're like, well, I have to do an action movie because that's what sells. Yes. And so that's what you're writing, right? I mean, that's what I find often. Then you're like, you don't even really want to do an action movie or whatever. Yeah, no, exactly. And a lot of the work that I do around blind spots and what you're talking about too, is like going back to this question of like, why did you want to write this movie? Like, what was that moment? What was that spark? What was that moment where you got the idea and you were just flooded with all these kind of like imaginings, you know, in your brain, because, because that helps you kind of get at the kind of movie you want to write, the emotions you felt when you thought about it, even thematics, you know, like sometimes you you get an idea and you're like, oh, this is about this, but it's really about this larger thing, you know. So it's going it's going back to that stuff. But when I when I feel like someone has an emotional blind spot, you know, I'm obviously I'm not a therapist in any way, shape, or form. Um, but I will ask them. I will have them do exercises like like I worked with one person who was really um, had a blind spot like this, but was, was actually open to kind of exploring, you know, why they couldn't go there, you know? And so we ended up, I did an exercise where we started with, I had him write his character's biggest fear. And I encouraged him to go like really dark, like it's bad, paint the scene, write it out, give me details. What does it smell like? What does it taste like? What does it feel like? You know, and he wrote this really great, like two paragraphs of what his character's worst fear was. And then, and then I said, okay, now I want you to write down your biggest fear. And he, he went there, he was willing to go there. And you guys, it was the same. It was the same. And that's why the end of act two in his movie didn't have the depth that it needed to do because he wasn't able to, he wasn't willing to acknowledge that it was about him. It was about his fear, you know, and the thing that it's, it just scared the crap out of him. He didn't want to go there, you know, but once he was able to kind of see it on the page, I think he saw the value of it and he rewrote his second act and it was really good because he went there, you know? I love that. I love how storytelling is a vehicle often to evolve ourselves to, 
Because this thing is asking you, it's bugging you, like, pay attention to me, write my story, write my story. And yet part of your brain is like, no, 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 I'll write part of it, but I'm not writing the whole kit and caboodle, right? That will kill us. And that, so it's so great to go to someone like you, Pat, who can help you just take the hand of that writer and say, like you did with that exercise, it's okay, right? You're not going to die. About when you're giving notes, and I'm trying to teach this to my 18-year-old as well, who's starting to write and give notes to his friends, which is, um, I think the most important thing is to ask questions versus come in and with prescriptive uh, things or um, you know, of course, it's always good to say, I didn't understand this, or please, could you make this more clear or whatever? But it, the questions still are, I didn't understand this, therefore, what, why, how, that, that's still a question, because it is the storyteller's dream. And you may be mixing up the metaphors, you may be projecting your dream onto theirs, and you're completely missing the boat, and you're going to send them off in a direction unintentionally that isn't their dream. So I always ask questions first and the questions I ask are, I try to go immediately down into the deepest core story engine uh, topics, shall we say, elements, pieces of the engine, because every note, in my opinion, and we've talked about this, are symptoms of a deeper disease. So you know, especially in like a writer's group, you're going to get a lot of maybe talk notes, which are symptoms and those questions by asking them questions like, well, what is this about for you? Right. Thematically, emotionally, you know, thematically, emotionally is the first element, core element of the story engine, which is why do we care? What is the emotional, what are you emotionally trying to say through this character's journey and experience? Um, you know, and I'm speaking specifically to features and I'm very interested in Lorian's take on television and how this, you know, I do think TV shows, episodes can have thematics. I think whole shows can have thematics as a show. Um, you know, why, you might be asking a question, you know, sometimes, especially for an indie filmmaker, they have a question about the way, why human beings are the way they are, you know, look at Blue, uh, uh, and you know, his question about, can you live and not live when the trauma and the loss is so great? How do you live without feeling anything? Um, and then he just does it over and over, smashing you know, life in at her. Um, that Having that question is the hardest one to get, of course, into the conscious brain. But even if that writer can give you a bucket, it's about injustice. It's about what, where are we? Right, that at least can get everybody else's notes coming towards kind of what they are, the the arena that they're in, right? Um, and from there, you're you could uh, you know world building questions are important, but I think they're mostly important in terms of the character. They're they're just metaphors, right, for what's happening to the character. But do you understand the world? And I don't just mean sci-fi. I mean this character's view of the world. The world is a dangerous place. Their place in the world. How are we experiencing the world through a character? You know, a lot of the movies I've been watching for the Academy run is a lot of them are slice of life. So that's a whole of a you know, bucket of fish, right? Like this is just experiencing life as these this person experiences it. But um, there's some that there there is a there is a version of storytelling that is take multiple 
you never ever get into anybody's emotional point of view. Like you, you just keep bouncing around and they're intellectually interesting, but they're not emotional to me. I don't, I, and I can forget about them other than maybe the beautiful visuals. I don't feel like they ultimately rise up. Even don't look up. He's, it's so emotional and you're so in that character's point of view, even when he's, even though he's got a lot of characters, when he's in it, he's in it so deeply that, uh, and he's picked really the two to, the two to really spine it, right? So what is their world? How do they see the world? Get me in there. And um, uh, the other elements are tone. So you could be asking genre questions. Um, again, world and tone are, are kind of last or just help orient you to what is it they want. Can you give an example of changing how you talk about yourself? You talked about coaching. So like, what's an example of like, not being really clear about your brand with somebody in a meeting and then how you change that to be very clear about who you are? Well, I think, I think understanding what your intentions are, right? Like, and, and what your convictions are. I think sometimes you have to dig deep. It's like going, I always say interviewing is like dating, right? Like when you're unclear of the type of mate you want, then you date a lot of people, right? And like, eventually you find the person that you want to focus on. But also, if you don't love yourself, if you don't know who you are, then it's going to be harder to find that person. It's the same as like a job. So if you're unclear, if you're like, if you're a writer, and you're like, I want to be um, I want to write for a, like a crime drama. But all of the work that you do, like all of your specs are rom com, that's going to be really hard to get you placed. So sometimes there's a disconnect with the body of work that people are producing versus where they want to go. And there, there's a disconnect in the brand there. The other is um, the, the own, owning your own destiny. I think that sometimes um, because people are unclear, and I went through this, like after I left Sony, I was like, people are like, what do you want to do? And I was like, I don't know. And then that does, that's not helpful because people want to hear what your thoughts are of where you want to be placed because it's not malicious intent. They're just too busy to figure out your own career path. That's your job. And I knew it was my job to do it. And I was all over the place. And it wasn't until I started talking, taking meetings and getting and doing some real soul searching, then I realized what I really wanted to do. But it took a little bit to get there. And I think that's okay. And like, I think sometimes we're really hard on ourselves and like, we, we must know immediately. You know, I think it's good to explore. It's good whether you're writing or you're a visual storyteller, exploring different, um, different things that inspire you, um, different themes, different um, subject matter, different styles and eventually it's like when you're in art school like you you try all these things out and eventually you come into your own but you have to come into your own in order to get placed otherwise people don't know where to place you so that's where that conviction lies and and, and then it's sometimes with your wording too like um it's like uh using like flipping a few things like um instead of i feel this could be like this, saying, I know this could be like this. You know what I mean? Again, it's about that conviction. So not teeter-tottering on 
the maybes, or maybe it could be this way, but this is how it should be. It's so, it's so funny. I mean, it's not funny, but you're talking about active voice, right? Which is something we need to write mm. with, right? She runs to the bank, not she is running to the bank, right? Mm. We want active. It's like, I'm running to the bank, not I'm going to run to the bank, right? So I remember I had a meeting with you, a general with you at Sony, and, and I said, it was first time I ever said this out loud. You asked me, what do you want to do? And I said, I'm a showrunner. I just don't have a show yet. And I said that out loud to you and I was like, oh no, that's what it is. I am a showrunner. I just don't happen to have a show yet, <laughs> right? So then it was like, yeah, that's, so it was, uh, so you're magic. So thank you for that. But um, for me, that was a really powerful thing to own. It's really scary to say that stuff out loud too, right? Because when you say it out loud and you believe it, you're sort of hoping that other people believe it as well, right? Um, but they will, you have to tell people who you are. So to your earlier point, they don't decide who you are. Yeah. Super quickly, just piggyback off that too, Laurie. And like another writing lesson we can take away from this is, I think like that's such a sharp observation of active voice and just like a really clear distillation understanding of our wants. You know, it's the, my biggest takeaway every week on this show is develop characters with agencies, develop characters with desires. And um, that's what we need to do in our own career as well. So I just had that thought. I am. Um, I have all my clients create branding decks. Ooh, what's that? Tell us about that. So in it, they have to, because it's almost like, um, it's part of manifestation, right? Or, or when you do like a Pinterest board or a vision board, anything like that, it's getting everything together in one spot. So they have to write their bio. And the way that I make them write their bio is what makes your voice unique? It's about empowering perspective. In a world where everything is about diversity and inclusion, what is it about your background? What makes you unique? Why do we need to be hearing your stories or, or looking at your art? Like, where does that point of view come from? Give us a little bit of insider baseball into your world. Can you give so, an example? Do you have a, is that? Yeah, so um, one of the other managers, this is a story she tells is, she had a writer who she was putting um, up for jobs over at the CW. And, and she was, I think she ended up landing one, but there was then her client came to her and was like, oh, there's a bunch of these great witch projects. You know, I, I grew up Wiccan. And um, it was around the time that like Sabrina the Teenage Witch. And she's like, man, if you had told me that earlier, I could have probably got you on Sabrina. So it's like these little, like what we don't know as representatives, we don't know. And the more information you can tell us about your background and, and again, that unique perspective of things you've grown up with. Another one of my clients, um, like his, um, his mom was part of the, like was in the Cambodian killing fields. And then his dad, um, was in the army and that's how he met his mother and he's this ex-army brat and so it's like again this really unique perspective of not look we all come from a place of trauma and not that we need to glorify our trauma but it is also what gives us our unique perspective and so if you can not you don't need to be a debbie downer in your bio but it's about like showcasing these little tidbits and sprinkling and peppering that in to your bio just to 
to personalize it, to, to get somebody to connect, that you're not just a number, you're not just another writer, you're not just another visual storyteller, but you're, you're a human that has had these um, wonderful and, and scary and tra sometimes traumatic experiences. And I think people want people to be real. I think when, when people are, are looking for writers, they're looking for people to connect with the material. And it's just like interviewing for any job. Like some people are like, why didn't I get that job? I'm like, well, how into the company? Did you do the research? Like, why do you wanna go for that job? And sometimes people are just going for it for the sake of going for something versus really being strategic and, and understanding why they're driven for that position. So that when they do eventually get that meeting, they're really able to talk about why they're so passionate about it. So I get my clients to talk about if we're up for a job, why are we up for that job? Why are we excited? How can we make sure if we're doing a pitch back? Like I just had my two of my, I have two female clients. They just got a directing gig over at Cartoon Network. And as they were doing the pitch back, I asked them to, to continue peppering in why this particular project is important to them. So throughout the whole time of the pitchback, it was this, this part was great and this is why I responded to it. So it's about, it's about threading that narrative of you plus the content together. Thanks for tuning in to The Screenwriting Life. We love our community and we want to get to know you even better. Join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash thescreenwritinglife or email us at thescreenwritinglife at gmail.com to have your question considered for the show. You can also suggest topics by emailing us there. Also, we'd love for you to drop us a review on Apple Podcasts. Even if we don't read your review on air, trust me, we have read it, and not only does it mean the world to us, but it helps other people find the show. We've always been driven by mission and mentorship, and reviewing our show helps expand that mission. And of course, until next Sunday, happy writing.